Hi, and welcome to the Core Church Podcast. Our vision is to experience Christ's heart and to share His heart with others. Are you ready to learn more about Him? Let's dive into this week's message. We're in disorder. Somebody say disorder. Uh, Our pastor's been bringing it week in and week out about just digging deep beyond what we think is in disorder, what we think is the problem, or maybe the surface level things that we think are out of place and, and recognizing there's many things that contribute to disorder in our hearts. Not just our hearts, but actually in our thinking. We've been diving into the scriptures. We've been talking about jealousy. We've been talking about anger. The things that we deal with, again, on a surface level, and we're not sure why. And maybe we think we should run to a psychologist or a psychiatrist first And I love the way that Nick even put it last week is not that that is not something that we can't seek out, but why are we going there before we go to his word? Why are we going there before we seek out the true healer of this word, the one that wrote this and penned this for you? Why are we not seeking that out first when we see that there's things that are not in their proper place, when we know our thoughts are all over the place, why are we not seeking him first? This morning, we're going to be talking about bitterness. Somebody say bitterness. What a word. It's something that I've experienced. I know that all of us have experienced it. And again, it's a lot of the reason why we do Forgiveness 5. It was actually birthed out of a time period in our church when we had just moved into a building. Not this one, but the one before this. And it was birthed slowly out of a process of, yeah, we could do that before church because everybody was angry with each other. Everybody needed that Forgiveness 5. Well, guess what? We moved again. So I I think we all need it this morning. So like as we jump in this morning, there's many things that have been going on other than just moving. Over the years of your life, over the course of your life, there's been many things that have happened that I know that we don't understand yet. Where did that come from? And bitterness doesn't just always take the form of I'm angry. Sometimes it takes the form of I fill it with a computer screen or a bottle. Or sometimes it takes the place with, I buy things and put it on my credit card and I don't know why because it just helps me feel better. Bitterness doesn't always come out in the way that we think it does. But disorder is, is, is something that we need to talk about. We need to talk about this, this disorder of bitterness that doesn't belong. Uh, I wanted to just start off with this. Disorder is a mind. It's a mind that is out of alignment with God's word as we were just talking about. It's not in alignment with what he says. And let me tell you folks, as I'm jumping into the word today, something new hit me about bitterness. Something that I knew I had to align my thoughts with. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, we are destroying arguments. So the things that are inside your mind, we are destroying those types of arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I have that scripture written down on an envelope in my office and I haven't looked at it in six months. And I feel convicted by that with this series because I need to memorize that I need to take every thought captive. I need to make it obedient to his word, not in how I feel, but exactly what he says. Amen? So we need to come back. Somebody say, come back. So we need to combat every single worldly thought that enters our mind. Begins to change in a heavenly way when we address things like that. 
Again, it's not a feeling, but when we are obedient to that verse, when we are saying, I'm going to take every thought captive and I'm going to make it obedient to what he says, when we combat, that's a war type stance, just so you know. That's no longer the pastor fighting on your behalf. That is you taking it captive for yourself because you have read his words for yourself. It says this uh, in Philippians chapter 4. It says, actually, it teaches us how to do this. It gives us, these are warlike instructions. As, as Paul was going through the thick of it, what did he write? He said, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, not my feelings, his word, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, think about these things. I truly think and believe that believers should be the strongest people in the room. When you walk into a room, these, you should be thinking about these things constantly to where you, when you step into the room, you are an unwavering force because you, you focus your thoughts on heavenly things. You know how to fight the war. The battle of the mind, as we've been talking about, is stronger than any of the physical things that we experience, is it not? We, have all, we can all say that for sure, whether it's anxiety, the different things that we see on the top, all of the things that come out and we don't understand how to control it. We should be, as believers, unmovable. So when we focus on these types of things, when we put our thoughts on these types of things, I, I don't want to hear that Christians are the wimpiest. I want to hear that we're the strongest. I want to hear that core church is, is the start of that in this, in this community. That we understand, I don't know what's different about them, but they think about heavenly things. And there's something different about those type of people because they walk through life, through the trials, without complaining. They walk through trials and tribulations and, and discussions with their, their own family, the things that they should be hurt by, things that they should be still bitter about. They think about things differently. This is not a toxic positivity message, right? And what we mean by that is this is not self-help book. This is not chicken noodle soup for the soul, just so you know. I actually, somebody bought me that when I was a teenager, and I thought, why are you buying me this? I have no idea why I need chicken noodle soup for the soul. It doesn't even make sense. I don't even like chicken noodle soup Campbell's. It's not even good. This is what happens when one finds life in Christ. It's, it's different now. It's, it's different now, isn't it? Because when you found Jesus, when you found the true Savior of your heart, and let me just reassure you why it's not a toxic positivity message. Why it is not is because he's the only one that is real. Am I the only one that doubts that sometimes? I need to remind myself, this isn't just another positive message. And I can find another way or another path to, to be okay or to be positive. Marcus prayed over me this morning and he said, we're not going to be living out this lie. That, was it Marcus or Mike? I think it was one of them. And they prayed essentially that we're, we're not taking other paths to get to the truth. We're not taking other pathways of mysticism. God is not somebody, invisible God, that just exists in, in many different forms. He is Jesus. It says in Colossians, it says it like this. Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, seek, keep seeking. Somebody say, keep seeking. Keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, not your heart, but your minds, not your feelings, but your thoughts. On the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So the things that you physically see should not set the tone of what you think about. 
This is a great danger, though, is what when we avoid the thoughts in our mind, when we avoid seeking those things that are above, when we avoid setting our mind on Jesus, there is a great danger in that. There's a warning in that. Because then when we avoid the battle and, and we just succumb to whatever happens, we, again, I think we just become the weakest people in the room. When we claim the name of Jesus and we don't act like it, when we don't believe his word to be true over everything else, it actually weakens us more than anybody else in the room, including your spouse, including your children. They feel that. They sense that. They can't put a finger on why things aren't okay, but it's because we're not winning the battle. We're not even fighting it. We're not engaging in it. I'm guilty of this all the time. I don't know how many times I have to say I'm sorry. But he forgives us anyway, doesn't he? For those who are in one accord, are we in one accord this morning? Are we in one accord? Okay. With the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are in one accord with the spirit, that's who we are, the things of the spirit. For the mind is set on the flesh is death. I don't want to be that. Again, we become the weakest in the room to the point of death where we can literally walk around and look like we're moving and and operating in life, but we're actually dead. We're not accomplishing anything. We're actually destroying ourselves and those around us. Everything that we've been preaching on, whether it's jealousy, anger, everything, bitterness, let me tell you this morning, everything that we're talking about, it doesn't just affect you. It brings death to the whole room. But the mindset, look at that. His word is perfect, isn't it? His mind is set on the spirit, is life and peace. And that's what this should feel like when we step in here. And that's what it should feel like when you step into your work this week. And into your family and into the worst parts of your week. When you're at your most low, when you're at your tired point in the week, when you have no energy to fight the battle anymore, it should still feel like life and peace because we're setting our minds on things above. Amen? So it says this in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, look at that. Your mind can actually be against him when you don't engage. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Interesting. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If the worldly thoughts persist, we will find that our minds are hostile when we don't engage. We find that our mind, it's interesting. The way that scripture actually says this is that your mind naturally fights God. So your natural response, what feels normal to you, will be fighting against the way that he does things. We'll be fighting against this heavenly mindset and we'll disengage. That will be your natural response. So the first 10 steps that you take in this new mindset will not feel normal. It will feel opposite of the way that you do things. It will feel very foreign to you. So when you read your scriptures and you pull it out and you say, I am being instructed to focus on heavenly things. I am being being instructed to engage in this battle. I am being instructed to get rid of bitterness. And yet this doesn't feel right. That's okay. It's because you are used to the flesh. Your mind is used to what you know how to do. And now it's a new way of doing things. Amen? 
It says this in Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world. Again, everything around you, do not conform to it, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. I love that, that you would prove that what we're doing now is the will of God. That's an that's a important thing to be motivated by. I'm doing the will of God when I do that. That is good and acceptable and perfect. Absolutely perfect. So do the thoughts in my mind, I want you to ask this yourself your question, this question this morning. Do the thoughts in my mind withhold me from living out his will for my life? And I love that question that we've been asking week in and week out because that really gives me motivation. Let's be honest. We don't just do things because it sounds nice. We need a reason. And I think God's will has probably got to be top tier of why we would do this and why we would consider this. So as we dive in this morning, I want you to consider, do I want to do his will or do I want to do mine? Right? And my question for you this morning is, are your thoughts fixed on bitterness? And that's a really hard question. Some of you probably are sitting in the room this morning and you're saying, of course, yes, I've been dealing with bitterness for 25 years or for the last 10 minutes because I just got an argument. Whatever it is, I walked in this morning and I know I'm dealing with bitterness and I don't know how to get rid of it. But what I'll also say as we jump into scripture, there's many things that you see on the surface and you don't recognize that it's bitterness. And that's why I ask the question to everybody in here is even if you don't think you hold bitterness, I guarantee you because of who you are, just being human and imperfect, because Jesus is the only one, I know for a fact that we all have it. I know for a fact, even if you don't recognize it this morning, ask it of yourself. Do I have bitterness in my heart? Do I have unforgiveness? Do I actually struggle with this? And where is it? Help me find it, God. Right? It says in Hebrews 12, 15, he's writing to the, uh, the Jewish people, but this scripture is so interesting. So see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Nobody comes short of the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up, causing, uh, causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. Not just me, but many become defiled by the bitterness in my heart. So bitterness is something that we might have underneath the soil, right? That we have underneath, but we know that it stays unseen and maybe even unthought of. Again, it's something we don't always recognize. But what I did write down is you can put it up there. It says... Uh, bitterness is planted underneath, staying unseen, but roots grow before the tree sprouts. So the roots of bitterness are, are taking work far beyond when you see the anger. Far beyond before you even experience the things that you take it out on. Whether it's impatient with your kids, whether it's impatience with those that you love, whether it's actually going to drinking and say, well, just a couple drinks just to relax because I'm really stressed. Bitterness takes many different forms. And before that tree, actually, you see it, it's taken root to the point where now it's hard to get out. Now it's actually going to take an impossible act to remove this. Because by the time we actually know that we have it, it feels impossible. It feels like a wall that we come up to and we think, man, I can't get past this. Like I literally can't. I remember many times, even in the last 10 years of my life, I mean, I feel like the older I get, the more that I recognize that, man, I've got so much to work on and I don't know how to take care of it. I have so many things that I've let build up over the years and I don't even understand myself sometimes. 
That's what this rooted thing makes me think of when Hebrews talks about it. I don't even understand my own heart. Actually, Scripture says that you don't understand your own heart. So consider that even if you're drawing a blank right now, can you please just open your eyes, listen, and maybe he'll speak. Maybe he will actually speak to you this morning. Amen? So Hebrews is warning us that bitterness is in direct opposition. It's in direct opposition. You remember he said, be sure that you don't fall short of the grace of God. What does that even mean? He's warning us that it's, it's a direct opposition to the gift of forgiveness that God offers us. Right? So it says in uh, Matthew chapter 6, 14 through 15, it actually says this. For if you forgive other people for their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. This is right after he gets done teaching people how to pray. You guys remember the prayer that he actually says, we forgive our debtors as you forgive us. But if you do not forgive other people, then your father will not forgive your offenses. That's actually true. That He says that if you're unwilling, if you know, not, not because you're in ignorance, not because you don't understand that you don't have it or, or do, it's, it's when you know it. It's when you actually understand, I'm holding unforgiveness towards someone and I refuse to forgive them. He's saying that there is no longer forgiveness on your behalf. There's only a couple things in the scriptures that ever say that are unforgivable sins. So can we just talk about that for a second? There are sins that have been instructed maybe in other churches that you have attended that said, these are the unforgivable sins. There's only a couple of sins that are unforgivable. There's one, which is unforgiveness of a brother or sister, and you know that you're doing it. And two, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and that's it. Now again, we can align our life with sin, and that's just walking away. But there's two things that God says we don't do uh, deal well with. And that's unforgiveness towards a brother or sister or blaspheming in the Holy Spirit. So we should take this seriously, right? We should understand that maybe if there's bitterness, I need to recognize it and uproot it before it becomes this big tree, before it becomes too strong for me to take out. But even if it's become big, Judd, you're thinking to yourself right now, I've allowed this tree to grow for many years and it's quite strong. Now what do I do? I would encourage you that I know what that feels like. And I would say that nothing is impossible with him. Absolutely nothing. I want to show you from scripture this morning that any kind of bitterness and unforgiveness that you're experiencing, which can just causes complete disorder, complete confusion, can be gone in Jesus' name if you ask for it. So we need to seek forgiveness often, as often as we seek it from Jesus. I want you to read that again. We need to offer forgiveness as often as we say, Jesus, I'm so sorry I messed up this week. He teaches us in that prayer. He says, as often as you pray that, as often as you ask for that, you need to be thinking, who should I be forgiving? Who have I been holding bitterness towards? Who have I been holding resentment towards? And let me tell you what happens when you start to practice things like that. Forgiveness gets to be easier and easier and easier because you're allowing the truth. You're allowing the heavenly mindset to take over. You're allowing your thoughts to be completely transformed and renewed as we just talked about because now it's different now. And you feel like, man, I don't, I don't feel this heaviness anymore. It's possible, but it takes effort. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the 
gift of God. Again, this grace that he talked about. Don't miss it. Not a result of works so that one, no one may boast. So when Jesus said to forgive, when he's talking about that, when we withhold that kind of forgiveness, we make it about us instead of him. We make it about us instead of Jesus. So when you withhold forgiveness, you're literally saying the gospel is no longer about Jesus on the cross. It's about me. So when you say someone's unforgivable, when I say somebody hurt me when I was young, when somebody hurt me throughout the years many times over, you're saying that it's no longer about Jesus, it's about me. It's no longer about the gift of Jesus. That's why we miss out on the grace when unforgiveness is there, is because we actually say it's about me now. That's why he says it's unforgivable, because you're taking it away from the work that he did. You're saying that he forgave me, but I can't forgive you. I can't do that. I'm not, I'm human. That's God's, that's God's job, not my job. So we need to be careful about this. It says in Ephesians chapter four, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by God. Again, one of the other unforgivable things, we need to be very careful here about not dealing with the Holy Spirit lightly by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So if you ever said, I believe in Jesus, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. You actually had the presence of God come and dwell within you. He sealed you for redemption. All bitterness. Look what comes from bitterness. Wrath, anger, clamor, slander must be removed from you. Along with malice, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So if you've experienced Christ's forgiveness... You have the power over any bitterness. That's what that's saying. Because Jesus has forgiven you, you actually have a supernatural power now. I need you to understand that you actually have a supernatural ability that you can tap into. Now, it's a choice. It's a choice. I now have to recognize and tap into that supernatural ability because Jesus gave it to me. Because he's, I want you to think of it this way. Jesus is the first one to ever forgive. Jesus is the first one to ever forgive anyone on earth. Before he even came, what did the people have faith in? That Jesus would come and do that work, that he would forgive them, that he would cover their sins. And after, now we're looking back and we're saying, Jesus, I know that you're the only one that was capable of forgiveness. And now you've given me the ability to do that now in my own house, in my own church. I think bitterness is is probably one of the things that causes the most confusion among us. It hinders our service. It hinders our love. It hinders our ability to operate with oneness together. And the enemy knows that if we don't operate in oneness, he knows that we're weak. So if you have experienced Christ's forgiveness, you have the power over any bitterness. But what is bitterness? We've been talking about this word, and we know that it's unforgiveness. But I want to give you the definitions here. And so what is bitterness? There's a couple words that actually in Hebrew or in Greek, I I should say, pikros. Somebody say pikros. That is the root word of what was in Hebrews. It is bitter, acid, or malignant. Interesting word. Actually says the word malignant like it spreads, like it defiles others, right? But just like it said in Hebrews, the actual word used in that Hebrews 12, 15, you can go to the next. It says pikra, extreme wickedness, a bitter root producing bitter fruit or bitter hatred. So actually a tree that grows fruit that's bitter. That's interesting language to talk about. And it actually has, in in the Hebrew culture, and you can go to the next slide, it says in the Hebrew culture that there was a, any poisonous plant was called bitter. 
So anything that was poisonous that would kill you, the Hebrew word for that type of plant, they used the same word as the Greek word for picros. So any plant that was actually poisonous to ingest that would actually cause malignant things that spread to your whole body that you ingested, they used the same word in Hebrew for that bitter plant. So poison destroys, and the result of ingesting a poison plant would be bitter and or deadly. So warning. Somebody say warning. You can put it up there. Next one. I'm just saying warning. Yeah, there we go. And forgiveness and poison to any believer. And so it spreads like malignant cancer to our entire church when we have that type of poison. When we don't allow bitterness to be addressed, when we don't actually take an active stance to get it against it in our mindset. We can't address the issues of the heart. We can't address it with scripture. And what happens in our church is it becomes very divided. It becomes very weak. And we may continue to operate. We may continue to be a church, but we will just be below average. I would even say as Jesus wrote in the book of Revelation, which I think speaks a lot about what our church is like, is that our church becomes lukewarm. I think bitterness is probably the the biggest cause of walking around just dead. We're not an alive church because we can't even forgive one another. We haven't said, I have experienced Jesus. Or we've completely forgotten our experience with him. It says in Matthew, it says, For there is uh, no good tree that bears bad fruit, nor on the other hand a bad tree that bears good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. By the results that you produce, you are known by that. It's not what defines you, but you are known by what is inside. For the people do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from briar bushes. The good person out of good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil person, what is evil treasure, brings what is evil. For his mouth speaks that which fills the heart. And I said it to this is the thought that came to my mind, but action reveal the heart before the words do. So your actions are actually revealing what you're about before your words even say it. Because I can say to you, we're all good. I can say to you that I don't, I don't have anger. I don't have bitterness. But your actions show something very different. When you draw back and you don't engage, that shows me that you might have bitterness. When you refuse to serve in a larger capacity for no reason, it might show that maybe I have anger and bitterness in my heart. When I refuse to take a step of faith, a step of faith, it might show that I have anger and bitterness because often we're dealing with the fruit of bitterness unknowingly. You can go ahead and put this next slide up there. You're dealing with the fruit of bitterness unknowingly and you're not even addressing the root. You're not figuring out why I can't take a step. You're not figuring out why my marriage doesn't get better. You're not figuring out why I'm not serving in a larger capacity. You're not saying, why do I make excuses for why X, Y, and Z, these things are happening and I'm weak in my faith. Those are just the fruit. That's just the result of. So we're not addressing anything down below. Again, I want to be honest and transparent with you guys this morning. And I want to say is that I've dealt with bitterness on a big way. Has anybody experienced bitterness to the point of, I could kill somebody? Yeah? 
You know, that's an okay place to recognize that. And some of us in the room haven't even realized that's how we feel. That's why I say we need to look deeper than the surface. I've been in a place where I had to find forgiveness over and over. Sometimes we think it's a one-time act, and it takes many, many times over before it takes full root of the right things. Before that is completely gone, it takes a lot of work. It's a supernatural process every time. I've had many times in worship where I've said, God, I give it up to you again. And he does it every time. You know, betrayal is, is probably one of the deepest form of bitterness. It can be a betrayal of trust. It can be a, a betrayal of honesty, right? But betrayal can also look like somebody just not pulling for you. You think somebody's not in your corner. It can just be somebody standing by and saying, I'm not going to be active in the way that you think I should be active. And we blame that person. Maybe it was a mom or a dad that wasn't really there the way that you thought they should have been. This root of bitterness affects the way that you interact with me. You think that it doesn't, but until it's uprooted, it affects your interaction with me. And it affects our love for one another. It affects the way that we operate as a church here. So will you please do the work with me? Because I need to uproot some things too. Will you do the work with me this morning? Will we look at the scripture and actually say, okay, yeah, we're going to step into it and believe it. We're going to step in and uproot it. Amen? So we need to look at how Jesus addressed the removal of issues of the heart versus attitudes and habits. I want you to write that down. We actually need to remove not just the attitudes and habits, but we need to say, Jesus, how did you handle removal of the things underneath the surface? We need to look at how he actually addressed things. Because if we don't go there, we'll be searching with no understanding. We'll be saying, I need to operate in X, Y, and Z, and we will not know the steps to take. Let me tell you, it's actually simpler than you think. There's not much here to the process, but it's a big, important key process that we need to undergo. So it says here in Luke, or actually in Matthew, uh, you guys have heard this maybe many times if you've sat in church for very long. Have you ever heard this church? For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of mustard seed. Anybody heard that before? Yeah, if I have faith the size of the mustard seed. Again, sometimes people preach, you just don't have enough faith. But we've been instructed many times by our pastor that it's not about the size of the faith, but just having anything. Just bringing what you have of any kind of faith and God will honor whatever you bring. That's what he's saying by saying a mustard-sized seed of faith. You will say to this mountain, move from here and it will be moved and nothing will be impossible for you. And again, this is an account where he's talking about demon possession. The disciples are asking him, hey, how do we cast this demon out? We don't know what to do. It just tore us up. We didn't, we weren't successful. That's interesting because what does that have to do with bitterness, right? We're not, we're not talking about demons, Judd. We're not talking about casting people out of other, you know, entities out of people. We're just talking about, I need to forgive somebody. Can you please help me out here? Well, I was researching this further, and it says in Luke 17, it's interesting, also in Matthew 17, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, I never caught this, that Jesus instructed, if you pay attention to the way in Jesus is instructing things, is he uses spiritual concepts over and over. And we need to understand that he doesn't just speak in the word of 
uh, faith of the size of a mustard seed just for a one time. He was teaching a spiritual principle many times to the people around him. You would say this to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Why is he talking about a tree now? I don't, still don't understand how this helps me with unforgiveness. You're talking about demons being cast out. You're talking about trees being thrown in the ocean. And I would love to know, what is he talking about? Well, let's get some context here. Uh, so both of these would be instances, teaches that there's a small amount of faith that is required to remove, somebody say remove, that which doesn't belong. So we see similarities in this part of the scriptures that he's teaching two different times about a very similar idea that I just need any faith, just any faith. Does anybody have any faith in this room? Just a little bit. Can you give me a little bit this morning? Not in what I'm saying, not what in what I'm preaching to you, not a cool idea, but do you have any faith in Jesus? Any, just a little bit. Do you think that he's the only one? He's going to teach us how to remove things. He's going to teach you how to remove this bitterness. It goes back into Luke 17. It says, be on your guard if your brother sins. So right before this, he actually is instructing the disciples on if if somebody comes to you, sins against you, offends you. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Don't go to the next slide yet. Some of us might read this and say, well, nobody said sorry to me. That's what I'm going to take out of this. Nobody said sorry to me, so I don't need to forgive. But if you read this in the context of what he's saying, he's actually saying something even more intense than what you're going to. He's saying that if someone comes to you and says they're sorry, and yet you know they're going to do it again anyway, I want you to forgive them. He's not asking you saying only if someone comes to you and repents. He's saying it's even further beyond that, that not only is someone not coming to you asking for forgiveness, someone's coming to you asking you for forgiveness, and you know they're going to do it again seven times that day. It's totally different than what you think. Your mind went to, nobody said, I'm sorry. Nobody even said anything to me. It's worse than that. It's, he's asking more of them than what you think. He's asking more of you than what you think. So even if someone never came to you and said, I'm sorry, it's still, you're still able to forgive them. And if somebody comes to you and says, I'm sorry, and you know that they're going to hurt you again, you still are required to forgive them. Because Jesus did the same for us. Over and over, we do make the same mistakes. And what does he say? Come on back in. I'm going to forgive you anyway. I already forgave you before you asked. I just wanted you to ask me. I just wanted you to talk to me. You can go to the next slide. The disciples' response of increase our faith is the equivalent to us saying today, God, forgive them, but I can't. Right? We, we've maybe heard that saying, God can forgive them, but I can't. That's God's job. That is not my job to forgive. He's bigger and better than me. I'm not perfect. Because they said, increase my faith, right? They said to to, to give us what we need. They were saying, God, you can do it. We We don't even have enough belief in you that that's possible. So why does Jesus care about removing this tree? 
Why does that even the point when he's talking about, they're saying we need the ability to forgive somebody. You're telling us to forgive seven times in a day. Even if we get the same treatment over and over and over, you're saying that we need to do this. And then he says, throw this tree into the ocean. There's nothing in his word that is by mistake. It says in Luke 7, 6, and this is the King James version. Where's Marcus at? Come on, King James. That's right. I, I did it for you, dog. And the Lord said, if he had faith, ye faith, ye had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, ye might say unto the sycamine tree, ooh, that's different, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea. It should obey you. So when we look at scripture, when we actually look at the original language, it wasn't actually the mulberry tree as a lot of translations. And before we get to the end, I'm actually going to have you cross that word out and I'm going to have you write sycamine. We've done this before. If you look at the original Greek and you don't believe me, go back and research it. Get your Strong's Concordance out. Research it for yourself. If you don't believe the pastor, do your work. But if you believe me and you know that I did my research, I want you to cross that out. I want you to write sycamine tree in there. Because there's something very important about why he said this. He's actually pointed to this tree. Somebody say this tree. So when he points to this tree, he wasn't just being random about it. He actually was walking through the area of Israel, and he pointed at a specific tree, a sycamine tree, and he said, I want that tree to be uprooted and thrown into the ocean. That tree. Very specific. So what is a sycamine tree? What are the characteristics of it? A sycamine tree, it requires little to no water. And what does that mean? I need no spiritual life. I need no scripture to add into it. Bitterness just grows without it. It just does its own thing. It grows like weeds. It grows like a sycamine tree where it needs no sustenance. It just, it grows on its own if I don't address it. If I don't pull it out, it's going to grow. So if I don't address my bitterness, it will grow. If I don't address my unforgiveness, it will continue to permeate the rest of my life, the way that I interact with everyone that I come into contact with. I don't need water to grow that. What else is about it? It has an extensive root system. It grows way beyond right where you see the tree. It becomes very difficult to uproot, much like bitterness. The root system is deeper than you think. It touches more in your life than you ever thought. Again, he pointed to this tree. He was very intentional. Three, it is often mistaken for the better, sweeter fruit of the mulberry tree. It looks just like it. People think it looks like the true and heavenly fruit. The enemy's way of mimicking is he takes unforgiveness and he tricks people thinking, saying, I put up boundaries, I put up walls. I put, up, I put up what I need to do to, to protect me. I protect me because that's healthy. That's really healthy. That's, I don't, I don't inter- engage with that. Now, again, we use discernment. We do use discernment. But you don't need to protect it. You already have the protection of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to figure out boundaries and walls. I will fight that through scripture with you. Not because I'm fighting you, but because I'm fighting a, 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 a false discussion, a false thought in our minds that we all think about. And I have thought the same things. Now, again, I'm not saying we put discernment and wisdom aside, but we mistake the fruit that we should be bearing 
and it's really unforgiveness and bitterness. We, we forsake the true forgiveness that we need to be seeking. And it says, if that brother comes to you seven times in one day and does the same thing and asks you for forgiveness again, you give him the opportunity over and over and over. Number four was it was a bitter fruit to eat and it had to be eaten little by little. It was eaten by the poor people. That means the common people. It means everybody in this room. And what they had to do is they had to nibble on it because it was so bitter they couldn't eat it in one bite. They couldn't afford the good fruit. And honestly, the most of us that have the most amount of unforgiveness and bitterness, we've had maybe some tough go of it. Let's be honest. Some of you have had some tough life before you got here to this church. You've had some tough things that you haven't been able to uproot yet. You've had a lot of victory, but you haven't really seen the uprootedness of this bitterness yet. And you're tired of feeling that. And you've been nibbling on it for years. You've been using it for sustenance. You've been using it to keep you going. And you never have everything that you need. So he pointed to this tree, not just any tree. And he says it represents bitterness and unforgiveness. Again, he, he gives everything in his word for a purpose. He doesn't just teach these things of seven times. He doesn't just teach these things of casting out demons. He doesn't just teach these things of throwing a tree into the ocean for no reason. He said, no, this is how you do it. I'm giving you exact instruction of this is how you walk. So are you waiting for time to heal wounds? I want to ask you that question. Are you waiting for time to heal wounds? Or, are you willing, or, you, or will you take Jesus' instructions seriously this morning? How many have heard that? Uh, time heals all wounds. Anybody hear that? I just need some time to process this. That's not what Jesus said. That's not how he instructed me. If you say to this tree, if you say to this tree with just a mustard seed of faith, go into that ocean and be gone, it has to go. No, it has to go. He said that, not me. Jesus said this bitterness actually has to leave your house. You don't, guess what? You don't have to understand where the root system goes. Can I encourage you this morning? The confusion and the disorder you've been feeling behind this unforgiveness, you say, I don't even know where it goes. I don't even know how far it touches. I don't know how long I've had bitterness that I don't know what it affects. I feel like I've gone to him a million times about it. And I still don't understand what it's affecting, but I can tell that it is. I can't get rid of it. So I want, to know that, want you to know that I'm standing with you. I want to be rid of it. Does anybody else want to be rid of it this morning? So Moses is, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament here. Moses gives us a physical example of how spiritual, the spiritually removal, that which seems impossible to us. I don't know if I wrote that correctly. It doesn't matter. Moses is going to give us a physical example of what it looks like to spiritually remove something. It might seem impossible to remove it. It's a spiritual act. There's no accident, again, that Jesus said to cast out a demon and cast out bitterness is the same process. There is things 
in this world that you don't see? What does it say about putting on the armor of God? We fight what is unseen. There's things in this world that we don't see. Entities that we don't see. There is a title, not a name, a title of spirit of bitterness that you may need to get rid of. It is more than what meets the eye. Moses will give us a physical example. Go ahead and put this up. You can go to Exodus here. So, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. Remember, they had just experienced it. They had been worshiping how Jesus had just, God had parted the sea, right? He'd given them a way out, and they worshiped for a whole chapter of Exodus. And then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. So hardship and difficulty will come for all of us. We've all experienced it, right? But it's up to us. I say this this way. You can go ahead and put this up here. We have these mountaintop moments. We have the ability to see how he's working. And yet, life is filled with mountains and valleys. And it is how us to respond. So the Israelites come out. They needed to remember what they just experienced. They were already facing the next moment of, I need to forgive not just forgive, but I need to recognize and trust and have just a little bit of faith. So instead of focusing on forgiveness, maybe just having a little bit of faith that he's still with you, that he's still actually working through the process with you. It goes on in Exodus and it says, when they came to Marah, somebody say Marah. When Nick was preaching on this, uh, the first week we're in the building, it just hit me. He, he was talking about this scripture where they came to these waters of Marah, and I thought, that, that's it. God was showing me something that you guys need to hear about forgiveness and bitterness. They could not drink the waters of Marah because they were bitter. What else is bitter? What is the bitter plant? Hebrew bitter plant, it's poison. It's unforgiveness. It's literally what we're talking about. For that reason, it was named Marah. So the people grumbled. Look at what happened when they experienced bitterness. They grumbled at Moses, saying, what are we to drink? This is an example that if we encounter bitterness, we often become bitter ourselves. So this is, again, we defile the whole camp. When we become bitter, I make you bitter. I cause you to have unforgiveness, and it spreads like malignant cancer. This is exactly what this scripture is talking about. If you don't believe me, just wait that this scripture is so tied together with what we're talking about. It keeps going. Then he cried. Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. Somebody say a tree. Why would he show him a tree? And he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. Not bitter, but sweet. It's absolutely perfect. There's nothing that we need to read into this. It's not that I'm just making some crazy alignment that I'm just coming up with. It's literally stuck out to me. And it's like sometimes when I prepare to preach, if I let you into the mind of how I prepare sometimes, I think, what can I come up with? If I'm being honest, what can I come up with that'll really hit home? If you just read his word and take it for what it says, it's, it, it will tell you exactly what it says. And you don't need to figure it out. You just need to receive it. And the waters became sweet. So why would the Lord show Moses a tree to heal waters from bitterness? I thought we were throwing the tree into the ocean. From the last scripture we just read, we were throwing it away. Moses is throwing the tree back in the waters. Remind you of another tree? Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Just as in Numbers, when Moses struck the rock, it actually says later in Scripture that when he struck the rock, the rock represented Jesus and the living waters that flowed from it when they were thirsty. If we're thinking of bitterness and unforgiveness, what is the one antidote to that? Jesus. Him hanging on the cross. Him giving you the authority to have forgiveness because you've been given it. So when Moses threw this tree into the water, Moses was shown a tree that would heal the unforgiveness of all mankind. It was a prophecy. It was actually showing what was to come. God never does anything on accident in his word. He always uses the exact right thing to give us the exact right picture that Jesus would bring this kind of healing. He would give you the complete authority with just whatever faith that you have in the room this morning. I don't care how small it is, any faith that you have, he will use and multiply it. I don't care if you've been a faithful believer for 35 years or if you've only been a lukewarm Christian for six months. He will use that little bit of mustard seed of faith. Go back to Luke 17, verse 6. Read it again. If you had faith the size of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, again, I want you to cross that out. And if you don't believe me, go back and do your research, like I said. But I want you to cross it out. I want you to write sycamine tree. Because that is really the translation in the Greek. That's really what this tree was. Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So when you claim Jesus, does anybody claim Jesus? Anybody claim Jesus in the room? Anybody at all, please let me know that I'm not alone. With whatever faith you have, bitterness has to leave. It actually has to leave. It's the casting out of that which does not belong. Jesus has been teaching us all along in these Matthew 17 and in Luke 17, both of those instances, he's actually teaching us how to remove which that does not belong any longer. So it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 through 32, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, each other, just as God and Christ also has forgiven you. So now, again, I'm rereading this, but what I want to say is the reason I did not pick a multitude of scriptures and I hit twice, I doubled down on what was here is because it's such a simple instruction, we can actually miss it. We can say there's got to be more to this process. There's actually got to be more steps that I've got to take. There's got to be more therapy sessions that I've got to have with my therapist before this works. There's got to be more conversation about what they did to me before I can let it go. I got to know all the details of what you did. I got to know all the reasons of why you thought the way you thought when you hurt me. When all you have to do is say, God, I've got faith that you've forgiven me. I can get it, let it go. So Christ's forgiveness of you gives you authority and power to forgive the impossible. It's impossible to uproot it. It really is. You don't have to know what it touches. You don't have to understand where it goes. You don't have to understand how it happened and why it happened. His instruction is so inevitably clear. Instruct it to leave. By the name of Jesus, I instruct the spirit of bitterness to leave. 
I instruct the bitterness in my heart to leave right now and it's not allowed to come back. And I will do it over and over again. I will remind myself of the forgiveness I've been given. I will remind myself of the things that I have been completely wiped clean of. You're reminding yourself constantly of what you've received. That's a new mindset, isn't it? This is really what I want you to write down. If you didn't write anything else down, I wanted to keep this so crystal clear that we take action this morning. Because just as we hear the nails maybe on the cross, I want to hear nails on that board. We're talking about a tree that's nailed to that wood today. If you've got bitterness that you need to get rid of, you can take it at any moment. But if, any, if you have experienced Christ's forgiveness in any capacity, I want you to know that you have the power over any bitterness this morning. Can you please write down so that you remind yourself? Who wants to do that this morning? Who wants to find freedom from bitterness this morning? Are you going to be scared to do it? Because I'm scared all the time. It's not going to work. His word is true. If you come up, I'll be praying for my own bitterness to leave too. Who wants to come and join me? Come on up front. making your way to the front. The prayer team is going to surround you and cover you. But this is something we have to take personal for ourselves as Jesus instructed us. Whoever's up here and you don't understand and you don't know how to get rid of it, we've received instruction now on how to do it. So I pray over my brothers and sisters right now. I pray that you would just remind them that your instruction is clear, that you have told us that if we've received what you've given us, if we've received what you've done on the cross, that you in Jesus' name, bitterness has to leave. I pray that everybody in this room right now that is struggling with this and has not been able to uproot it, start praying for yourself right now out loud. I want you to actually pray over your own heart and ask the bitterness to leave with faith. Whatever faith that has in your heart, it doesn't matter if it's a little bit, I want you to say it out with confidence. I don't want you to say it under your breath. I want you to say it with full faith. Say it. I has to go, bitterness. Jesus, you have to take it. Bitterness, you have to go. Say it from your own heart. Bitterness, you have to leave in Jesus' name. By the work on the cross, by the blood of Jesus, you have to leave. In Jesus' name, bitterness, you have to leave. Say it with your own heart. Say it from your own mouth, not mine. Say it from your own. Thank you, Jesus, for the work you're doing. that you wouldn't allow the enemy to come in and deceive after we walk out of this. I pray that you would allow this to take root fully, that you've forgiven us so so much that we can forgive anything that comes our way. Lord, thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for your word that is perfect. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We hope you were able to draw closer to Him today and can walk away with a deeper knowledge of His Word. At CORE, we believe you aren't meant to do life alone. 
Visit us at corechurch.com to learn more about how to get involved with our community through serving opportunities and our weekly events.